0: Hey everybody, this is Robbie, and welcome to a special podcast here on MixingLight.com. Every once in a while, I'm lucky enough to have friends and colleagues stop by my studio, and today we are lucky to have Tyler from SpectraCal slash Portrait Displays join us. Uh, Tyler Pruitt is a technical evangelist for uh, SpectraCal and Portrait Displays, and he's essentially a calibration (laughs) guru. Uh, So Tyler, thanks so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Robbie. Thanks for having me. So, uh, as I said, Tyler uh, stopped by today because we were just—he uh, was in the area. I wanted to talk a little bit of calibration with him. I am a cowman user, and I figured while Tyler was here, uh, solving some uh, some technical questions for me, I'd get those on tape here. Well, not tape anymore, but you know what I'm saying. Get them recorded, uh, and so we could use them for your listening pleasure and benefit as well. Uh, so, Tyler, let's actually just start a little bit about what you do for Spectracow slash Portrait Displays. Kind of what your role is in the company because i know i see you at trade shows everywhere seems like you know if i follow you on facebook you're always traveling somewhere what what is your role uh at the company so my role is uh,
1: essentially evangelizing our technology to the outside world i'm also our main interface with um, the hollywood studios and post-production facilities Mm -hmm. vfx places the gaming community as far as game developers So I work very closely with them to bring stuff back to the engineering team. But I also, I'm the one that builds all the CalMAN workflows. Um, I also do our on-site training. So when somebody like Disney or something buys CalMAN, decides to use CalMAN, I'm the one will, I will go in and provide them training, specifically targeting their specific monitors that they have, not Mm -hmm. a real generic one, really focused on what they're doing. But I also do public speaking and, and do presentations on calibration? Or yeah, and
0: actually, recently at NAB, you just did a big one, right? You did, you uh, did a presentation for Simpty, right? Yeah, it was the uh, Simpty's Future of Cinema Conference at
1: NAB. Yep. And um, I also did a pre- I did a presentation last year on Dolby Vision calibration, a, n- a new calibration type that we came up with with LG and Dolby to mm. calibrate the uh, uh, LG OLED TVs in Dolby Vision mode. This year, my presentation was on. SDR and HDR monitoring challenges in post-production, right. specifically uh, perceptual matching displays that have different uh, spectrums of light that they produce, um, how to deal with HDR mastering displays that are brighter than a, an HDR client monitor, um, the history of client monitors,
0: where we've gone from plasma to OLED. and, and Well, I see this. I'm so glad that you're here, because I want to ask you questions about all of these things. And I'm sure our audience is going to love to hear them as well. Before we get into the perceptual stuff, because I'm in all the stuff about your presentation, because I'm keen to hear that. um, You know, recently, uh, we've been getting a lot of questions about um, LG's new 2018 um uh, oled panels right and here in mixing light we've been uh fans of them for a while as you know i have a couple of them uh that are use in my suites i have a couple of them at home i'm pretty much sold on the technology uh but i think it was at what ces this year right that um lg announced the the 2018 versions of this and part of that announcement besides you know a little brighter in the panel and all kind of stuff was that they announced and you guys simultaneously announced a partnership between lg and spectra slash portrait uh what is that uh that That partnership all about and what kind of improvements and capabilities can we see on the 2018 models?
1: Yes. So we announced um, an AutoCal integration with our software, CalMan. And instead of just being um, an API to programmatically control the picture settings that you could access with the remote, we've actually, they've given us low level access to the lookup tables in the TV down at the chip level below the UI level. Wow. Um, So it allows you to calibrate the TV using 1D and 3D lookup tables without having to have an external box in between. Um, so it provides for a lot of flexibility, uh, including ca- being able to calibrate five separate SDR picture modes, three HDR picture modes, and three Dolby Vision picture modes.
0: Well, well that, I mean, that's music to my ears because, you know, as a pro user, I have, for the past couple of years, I've put, you know, LUT boxes in front of these monitors trying to get them shaped. And I've always kind of wondered to myself, like, why, why can't I just do this on the monitor itself? Because, you know, I use Flanders Scientific Monitors, and I can I can dial right in there. It seems now that, like, this is a big move to kind of taking these traditionally consumer television sets and kind of putting them in this, like, prosumer pro level. I mean, the ability to support LUTs is a big, huge feature that I'm imagining a lot of Hollywood studios and post-production facilities have been asking for, right?
1: Yeah, and, and most TVs have static lookup tables, 3D and 1D, depending on the architecture of their video pipeline. Right. Um, so LG has for years had the, these LUTs in the TVs. It's just they were only they were only being written by the firmware at the factory. for. So they have a static LUT that is the factory calibration. Right. And um, but So that's more of the 3D LUT. The 1D LUT, uh, which we use both to calibrate, so we use the 1D LUT to calibrate the grayscale and gamma and white point, and then mm-hmm. we use a 3D LUT to control the color gamut, is the 1D LUT is actually the factory one, let's say, in the LG, it's actually gen- uh, gen- um, generated by an algorithm that takes into account what the what the color temperature is set to, what the two-point white balance is set to, what the gamma hmm. is set to, what the 20-point white balance is set to, what the tw- two-point in the service menu so is it's set to. Sort of so smart in a way, right? right yeah. Well, the problem is all the, you could have certain those settings going against each other and so we essentially wipe all of that out, and we write the lookup table directly. So the TV, it never goes through that algorithm. So gotcha. in in the case of HDR, we actually get increased brightness um, versus d- doing the calibration in the actual menu system.
0: Now, of course, precision is a big thing for a lot of colorists and people who are uh, massaging images for a living. Uh, these are 33-sided LUTs for the 3D LUT. Is that correct? So um, they're...
1: LG has two chips this year. One yep. is called the Alpha 7. Yep. That is going to be in the B8 model OLED, which isn't going to come out till later in the year. Okay. That, that's their, their like, entry-level sure. one. Uh, you'll probably see that at, the like, the big box or, uh, the, or the, the club stores and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, the C model and UP, which is the C, E, G, if you're in Europe, and W, they all use something called the Alpha 9 processor. Mm-hmm. And the main difference is the Alpha 9 processor has a 33-cube 3D LUT or... Like I said, it's not just one. You you can do yeah. five separate picture modes. But, but it supports the, a 33 yeah. side lot, right? Yep. And then the Alpha 7 only supports the 17, there also is some image processing enhancements that's in the Alpha 9, but with regards to calibration, the main difference is the size of
0: the 3D LUT. So talk about a little bit about the Calman integration. Then I'm guessing that, because I, you know, years past, and well, this will be a good segue in a minute to get into the kind of the history of client monitoring. But you know, in years past, I was a big fan of using Panasonic displays with Calman because I could literally just get them on the same network and Calman talk to the Panasonic display. How does this integration work with the uh, the 18, 2018 LGs? So. It's
1: network-based, which is a real big deal. You don't want to have to use, like, a serial cable and stuff. Right. Um, it's over Wi-Fi or Ethernet. So some people think, like, Wi-Fi would be unreliable, but all of our development in the in our office was over Wi-Fi. Hmm. We actually had the TV, the prototype TV, like, on a cart, and we'd move it, <laughs> move it from engineering to QC to right. back and forth. So we never had a problem with Wi-Fi. Um, but you can, you know... In some instances, you know, there's security things. You can just take an Ethernet cable from your laptop, plug it into the TV. They both get a 169 private IP address, and then you can calibrate it directly like that. The the way the process works is you enter the TV's IP address into CalMan. It, that will start a pairing operation with the television. The television will show an eight-digit randomized code that you have to enter back into CalMAN, and that's a security feature. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. unless you have physical access to the TV, you can't change any of the settings. So sure. you it can't be used as like an attack vector. Right. And then after that, you go through, there's two new uh, workflows in CalMAN 2018. One is called LG uh, TV SDR calibration, and mm-hmm. one is called HDR calibration, and the HDR calibration is for HDR10 and Dolby Vision. Gotcha. Um, But so you do the grayscale uh, 1D LUT first. The the 1D LUT is 1,024 entries or 10-bit. And then the precision of each of those entries is 15-bit. So Mm. it's like 32,000 different levels at Mm -hmm. each of the 1,024 entries. The 3D LUT is um, 33 cubed and
0: is 12-bit precision. Gotcha. So, I mean, in your guys' experience so far, I obviously these sets are just getting out into the wild. Uh, is this providing the level of accuracy that's on par with using an external LUT box? I mean, it sounds like it, right? Because you have 33-sided LUT, the 1D, and the 3D combo. It sounds like this would be just as accurate as using an external solution. What's been the experience so far? Has it, has it been uh, living up to expectations? Well, we haven't really
1: seen any benefit or hindrance right um you can get the same results but usually on a let box you'd only have like two slots or something sure. you can do five separate picture modes right. including the game mode which is actually pretty important for like uh, the input lag and yeah stuff. yeah because you'll have like something like the x300 or the flanders dm250 in the room and your if you have your audio sync to that <laughs> yeah and then you have some delay Been in the, there yeah <laughs> and then the client is really annoyed looking at the client monitor right um so, doing the game mode, the game mode can be calibrated just as accurately as any other mode, and and that's really a big deal. Not only for you know this use case, but yep. gamers and as well.
0: Very cool. Uh, I definitely am looking to check this out. I've just actually ordered a 2018 uh, uh, C8. Uh, I should be getting that sometime next week, so I'm going to definitely look forward to tinkering with this. Let's change gears a little bit. Um, obviously, a lot of the work that uh, you you know SpectraCal and Portrait does is all about accuracy and getting displays calibrated and being able to trust them. And, uh, in, in the color correction business, we're oftentimes working with clients in the room. They're sitting there, they're looking at monitors, but traditionally you know, the reference display is small, you know it's hard to gather everyone around so in a lot of rooms over the years we've had um you know the client display um and the client display of course is you know oftentimes people are kind of adapting a consumer display you know plasmas other things now these LG OLEDs and stuff like that but one of the things that's always been in play is you know you get the client going well they look a little different. Which which one should I be looking at? So I, I guess I want. I'm, I'm really interested to hear a little bit about kind of your your presentation, kind of the history of the client display, and some of the problems that you guys as spectracal kind of see and play with uh, this kind of client reference display, and then how you're getting around it with you know perceptual matching and stuff like that. Well, historically, l-
1: let's go back to when everybody had a CRT, there was no perceptual <laughs> matching problem because all CRTs look the same <laughs> right. once they're calibrated. Right. As far as, if you look at the, what we call the spectral power distribution. The SPDs, yeah, yeah. So if you measure white, you'd see all the components of white, um, depending on the display technology. Well, plasma is phosphor-based and CRTs were phosphor-based, so they, they really matched well. Um, as... as you know, they didn't make a CRT much bigger than thirty inches, so right. this was still a problem back then. And when we started doing these home video deliveries, people started using plasmas as a as a client monitor for the CRTs. And then when we switched to things like LCD and OLED reference monitors, the the you had to do some tweaking to get the plasmas to look correct, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Now we have these displays that are inherently wide gamut and they have to make a wide gamut display you need very narrow uh, primaries so very mm-hmm. narrow peaks in your spectral power distribution and even though that an lg or sony or panasonic oled or the new Flanders scientific big white oled they actually used different oled technologies as the small ones the small ones are rgb oled right where the the sub pixels the different red green blue subpixels, actually use different uh, material to make the color, right. whereas these bigger OLED televisions, or like I said, the new Flanders, they actually have white OLED material, and then they use color filters over them to make the subpixels. Now, if you look at the spectrum or the SPD of both of them, they they don't look the same at all. Right, they're different. So, things so really, so, yeah. what this whole perceptual matching thing is mainly to get the white point to visually match the same, because there's nothing worse... Uh, for our, the, our human visual system and even subconsciously is when we look at two different displays in the same room and they have different white points because our brain is great at adapting to a white point.
0: single display in the room after a minute or so you won't even notice it's different
1: yeah for people that use the night shift mode on their phone or something like that after a while it just looks white again it doesn't look orange um because our brain adapts to it but when we have two different white points our brain can't adapt or our the whole visual system can't adapt to two different white points so the goal of perceptual matching is to calibrate our reference monitor perfectly Mm -hmm. and then we perceptually match the white point of the client monitor visually to that and you don't want to just have one person agree
0: well i was telling i was telling a, uh, tyler a story at lunch before we sat down to record this about a buddy of mine who had asked me to do this perceptual match for him and he had to run out for a meeting he said oh you just do the perceptual match i said are you sh- are you sure and uh, sure enough came back the next morning and goes rob these don't they don't look like they match I came back around the room, I looked at them, I'm like, dude, they match perfectly. He's like, what are you talking about? They're off. And obviously that was the case of his eyes working a little differently than my eyes. Yeah, so you, you, typically you have...
1: One or more colorists, and maybe a couple other people in the office, try to agree that they match, and then at that time you say, "Okay, this is the white point we're going to use." Then you measure the the the, 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 cli- new white point, the right? client the yep. client monitor.
0: You measure what is that, and then you would target your 3D lookup table and calibration to that new white and point. And it's just gonna it's gonna be a number. And we've written a couple articles about this on, here on Mixing Light as well. It's gonna be a number that. Kind of doesn't make any sense right i mean it's going to be shifted from a traditional you know kind of cie number or even that judd number that people are using now it's going to be something that's a little weird but the idea is that when you do the perceptual match right that your primaries your red green blue all those numbers are going to stay the same for whatever standard you're using right 709 p3 etc it's just this white point chromaticity numbers that we're going to input as being different correct
1: yeah, and it, it it's also not something you can just copy from one facility to the other, or year to year, or even different panels. Right. Um. I've found that it you really want to do it for that for, for that display, or even just that year of display, because the 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 panels are a little bit different year to year. Like the twenty sixteen LG is different from the twenty seventeen, and the the panel the If you actually look at the subpixels of the twenty eighteen LG it's actually like the panel is upside down. Like they've changed the order of the subpixels and the actual green one is now shaped like a little J. So it's not something like you can just take 2017 perceptual matched one and and apply it to everything. But after, after you have this perceptual matched color, then you calibrate as normal to this new alternative white point.
0: Gotcha. Um, now, is that in your experience, obviously uh, interfacing a lot with you know big facilities uh, all around the country and all over the world, is this uh, a technique that those facilities are 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 using as well? Absolutely. And, and in fact, um, Technicolor Creative Services in Hollywood,
1: what they do is they perceptually match everything to their uh, xenon uh, projector, xenon yeah. DLP projector. So yeah. they they have a xenon projector set up for D sixty five, not the DCI white point. Right. Right. And right. then they do a perceptual match for their reference OLEDs and the the bigger client monitor OLEDs. Gotcha. So they have their own internal white points that they use for both of those that are not the the Judd one for the reference monitor. It's perceptually matched to the xenon projector as well because that's what their reference is.
0: Now, do you I mean kind of I think one of the things that comes up a lot of times about this is like couldn't this problem just be solved by taking the second monitor out of the room, right? You know, it's like if we only have one monitor, and I guess that kind of seg- uh, goes back to what I, we were talking about, the LGs and other displays like that that are getting so good. Do you guys kind of see a situation where now, even with a consumer-level display like one of these LGs or you know other uh, similar manufacturers using the same panel, we can get as as good as an SDR reference display and use that as the only display in the room. Yes, and
1: people are already doing that. Yeah. there is shows on the the big four networks that people are watching every week that have been graded on an OLED television exclusively. Right in the room, there is no, no reference monitor. Right, it it has that is ca- the reference monitor. Yeah, right? it yeah. has been calibrated <laughs> with a lut box, and that's their reference monitor. That's interesting. so we're at that point right now where. The main problem is the artist monitor is small and you need a bigger one. But if you can both work off of one big monitor, then that you don't have the perceptual matching problem. Plus, uh, especially with UHD resolution stuff, you can get into trouble if you don't look at it on anything but a 30-inch monitor. something. You can't see noise and you could see have uh, film grain that is being enhanced that you can't actually see until you blow it up on a 75-inch yep. UHD TV. So
0: now a lot of the marketing that I read, you know, read about this and talking to folks like you and our friend Bram from FSI and others, you know, who are kind of saying, well, yeah, you know, the, the single monitor is great. Uh, and we, they kind of use this classification of, yeah, it's, you know, it's an SDR reference level or we think about it as, you know, good, you know, perfect for SDR. But there's always seems to be that asterisk that comes with using these kind of client displays as HDR kind of reference monitors or master monitors. Can you talk about that a little bit? What's what's the current state of affairs with these kind of consumer panels and HDR? And why does everybody seem to kind of be putting a little asterisk at the end of their HDR use? Well, it's mainly because
1: um, we're talking about peak brightness, right? Um, mm-hmm. Really, what people use in Hollywood are. I did in my presentation, I talked about how there's the Dolby Pulsar, which is a right. 42 inch. Right. Uh, LCD monitor that's 1080p and does 4,000 nits. There's the X300 Sony RGB OLED. It's real 4K. It does 1,000 nits. Then there's a Canon monitor that does 1,000 nits. That's 4K. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you're talking about we have 1,000-nit content and now we need to display it on something that's 700 nits, how do we handle that? Right. And that's that's something that's still being debated internally and different facilities are, are, are doing things differently where there's really three options that you have. You can either let a roll-off happen where maybe, say, at 600 nits, you start rolling off. So anything above 600 nits, is the, the highlights don't get clipped, they get compressed. Right. Um, the other thing you could do is set up the client monitor to follow PQ perfectly until it hits its own peak brightness and then hard clip. Right, right. So the the effect of that would be instead of having the highlights compressed, they would be hard clipped, but everything else would look fine up until that hard mm-hmm. clip point. Mm-hmm. The third option that that some people are kind of toying with is having the code, having it clip at the code value for 1,000 nits. So it would display all the content that's on say your x300 at a thousand nits and it would maintain the relationship between say mid-gray and and the highlights but the highlights would be dimmer and everything else in the curve would be dimmer because
0: it's this one-to-one yeah. relationship between yeah. the two right but,
1: so but the the thing about that is as you make a screen a lot bigger than a 30-inch monitor Perceptually, it feels brighter, It seems brighter. So I I think eventually that's going to be where we're going to go, at least for the near future. Um, The other solution is once we get a large monitor, and and there's rumors about different people coming out with a large HDR Mm gradient monitor. If we get a 55-inch or a 65-inch one that does 2,000 nits or something, do we even need two monitors yeah right exactly back to this sdr thing where (laughs) hey we have a reference monitor that's
0: 55 inches that does 2000 nits maybe we'll just both look at that yeah i mean i i think that i i I look at that eventually that future of uh you know two 3000 nit 65 inch display as a little bit of a utopian place that i want to be um, because it would solve a lot of problems for uh for a lot of people uh for sure now um one one or two more questions that i have for you uh while we have you here you know we get a lot of questions here on mixing light about calibration in general and, and workflow practices and that kind of stuff and patrick has recently done a whole series in calman uh showing kind of you know uh the basic setup of this from you know initial color checking and that kind of Stuff and one question that keeps coming up and uh, again and again and again throughout these insights, and I just wanted to get the you know the te- technical guy's point of view on this is about the idea of creating matrices for lower cost colorimeters coming from a reference grade spectroradiometer. And it seems like a lot of people just think that this is like either not the way to do it, uh, right? Like the only way to do it is to buy a you know a six, seven, eight thousand dollar colorimeter, uh, or that you know we're we're telling people lies and i just wanted to kind of get your opinion on this like you know a professional calibrator uh, a company that makes calibration software can you talk briefly about the relationship between the reference spectro the colorimeter and is it really possible to get good results out of a cheaper level colorimeter
1: in my opinion absolutely um even when we're talking about those ex- more expensive colorimeters like the CR100 or yep. the Klein K10 they still have meter profiles right. to work so um, this meter profiling thing is not something we came up with. Or um, a guy at NIST named Yoshi came up with it. And it, it uses a 3 by 3 matrix um, to essentially transform the measurements from one to the other. Right. But one thing that is also important is validating your profile. So the way I usually validate it is after I've created it, I will measure uh, the color gamut of something, you know, red, green, blue, sure. cyan, yellow, magenta, and white with the mm. reference spectro and then my profile that I just created to make sure it's actually matching now. And they
0: should be pretty much spot on, right? Well,
1: maybe to like three digits Right, or right, 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 right. But, um, yeah, it's not something we came up with. Um, it, it's still important to have a spectro to create your own meter profiles. We uh, Some colorimeters, including our C6 HDR 2000, comes with ones, but, you know, it's always better to make it on the display you're working on.
0: No, but it it does make... Two questions about that. It does make sense that the spectro that you use to build those matrices for the colorimeter, using a reference-grade spectro is going to be a much more important factor than using you know the, the the actual colorimeter and what i mean by that is like using something like you know colorimetry research or a photo research you know high-end color uh, uh spectro to do that profiling versus say you know an i1 pro 2 or something yeah, like
1: yeah so the i1 pro 2s have their use cases but a lot of these narrow band displays have peaks that are too sharp and there is some issues with the the spectral bandwidth right. of the i1 Pro. Like, if you ask me personally, would you use the built-in C6 ones or build one with the i1 Pro, I would use the built-in C6 right. ones. But if you do have a, a CR250 or a Photo Research or a Minolta or, or a Jetty, mm-hmm. then it, you yeah. would want to use that. And,
0: and how portable are those 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 matrices or those offsets that you build? In other words, like, if I, if I profile one, you know, say, Flanders OLED... Am I pretty good taking that same profile to multiple Flanders LEDs? or is the is the better workflow to kind of do these matrices or these offsets for every display that you get to? I usually just,
1: like, say it's a 2017 LG panel, I would do one profile for okay. that. Okay. Um, I wouldn't do one for each TV.
0: Got it. Okay, that makes sense a lot. And then the other question that we've been getting a lot from, uh, from members when it comes to the idea of calibration is, you know, people are saying, hey, look, I'm... I don't have, you know, uh, a lot of money to spend on this calibration stuff. And I'm just wondering, like, why can't I just take, like, the HDMI out of my, you know, graphics card, plug that into a TV, uh, and, you know, have my, you know, my patterns go up there and, and read it that way. We've always kind of said that, well, there's a lot of play there, right? There's the OS doing weird things. The drivers. There's drivers. <laughs> like, what, like, if people want to do kind of this HDMI calibration, are you guys still suggesting that they go out and use an external piece of I.O. gear, like from Blackmagic or A.J.A., or, like, what's the danger about trying to do it off of, like, a graphics card or an HDMI So card? if you can know that it's properly configured for the correct and, – and the main
1: issue, it's not anything to do with color or anything. It's whether it's outputting full or limited range and whether Calman knows that it's full or limited right. range. Okay. That is the hang-up. Okay. So what a lot, some people will do is get a known – like Even like a uh, Blu-ray test disc that has 100% white patch and they can measure the luminance and then uh, measure the same with Cowman. And if it's the same and if it's vastly different, then you know there's probably a levels issue. Um, the other thing is most people, especially in, in post-production and stuff like that, they want to. You want to be able to test through your video path right, that, that your content's path. going. Sure. So if you have an SDI router, you want to be going through that. So if there's any uh, little subtle variation, you, you can figure out where it's happening, it's, or right, it right. would be calibrated out right, if right. that's your video path. So also, we do support Resolve as a pattern generator, even the free version. If you have the like the Blackmagic Mini Monitor, one of their cards mm-hmm. for yep. less than two hundred dollars, you can use Resolve as a pattern generator. Okay. So, and, but th- that's only on the Calman Studio version, not the Home version.
0: Well, very cool. Well, Tyler, I appreciate you spending a little bit of time here talking about the uh, the new LG uh, C, um, the 2018 versions and some of these calibration questions. Obviously, people can head over to the Spectral Cow website, right, to learn more about uh, Cowman and all the various options that are there, uh, more about portrait displays. Of course, if you're at a trade show pretty much anywhere that we're in the world, there's a good chance that uh, Tyler is going to be there manning the booth. Where's your next stuff, Tyler? I, I think our next one is going to be Cinegear in LA. Yeah, that's uh, a big for- show. That's becoming a really really big night. show yeah so if you are at CineGear gear this year out in la please be sure to stop by the booth uh and say hi to the uh, the spectra cow slash portrait displays guys and tyler thanks so much for joining us and for the old mixing i am robbie Carmen, and we'll see you next time